Good morning. All right. Well, let's jump right in. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to the book of James. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you'd like to borrow one, we'd love to loan you one if you'd like. You just have to raise your hand real high and just get the usher's attention there. And uh, I got to meet a couple new people this morning. Uh, welcome. We're blessed that you're here. And uh, pray that just be ministered to by the Spirit of the Lord as we are, make our way through his scriptures. M- most of you know, I think I say this from time to time, for us here at Calvary, we, we just go through the Bible systematically. Uh, so we pick a book and uh, go by chapter by chapter and then verse by verse and you know, line upon line, precept upon precept. And so this is where we find ourselves. We're right here at the end of chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17, looking to finish out this chapter. I entitled our message this morning, Our View and Value of Time, because uh, that's where James will bring us in, in terms of talking about, even as we sang, our tomorrows and our todays and our plans and calendars and such. Uh, it's the first Sunday of the month for us, and so we're also going to have a time of communion as we close out our, uh, you know, our Bible study this morning. So if you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as our habit and custom here, really just in honor of God and his word as we read the scripture. Now, I have, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Some of you have different uh, versions, and uh, so that's okay. Just you know, do your best to follow um, quietly. I'll, I'll read aloud. James says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. James says, whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? That's a big question. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. He offers an alternative. Instead, you and I, we, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, not our will, right? not we will, but if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. And then he adds to us or adds for us what the issue is. Planning's not the issue, pride is. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And therefore to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, well, to him, guess what? That's sin. We're in sin if we know it and we don't do it. All right. Don prayed for us. We prayed for Marquette and Kylie. Why don't you take a moment, please? Say hello to someone. Greet your neighbor. Introduce yourself to somebody new. And then you can have a seat. Any, anybody wake up and surprise it's October? Yes. Right. <laughs> it's like, where, where did time go, right? I mean, uh, so, so apropos, I mean, that's what we're talking about today in a sense, time. Time, which is a, a big topic. If you're talking about time as a topic. Uh, James has some specific things he wants to bring to our attention as it regards to time and tomorrow and plans and calendars. 
and such, and so that's where we find ourselves this morning. But, you know, time in itself, I, I was thinking about it a little bit. Some of you guys know my, my birthday is this month, my anniversary is this month, so October is a, a, big, a big month for us. Uh, but, you know, time, time in itself is this is wonderful gift. Time is a gift. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the scriptures, we would even add that time is a gift that God has given us, right? That, that God has deposited, if you will, into your account. We have 24 hours in a day. Uh, that equates to uh, 1,440 minutes each day. Uh, it's 10,080 minutes in a week. 10,080 credits you have and I have every week that God puts into our account and, and you know, we get to um, spend them as the Lord directs us. And the amazing thing about time is we all get the same. Although sometimes we look at others and think, I, I don't have that much time. Right? That, that person seems to have like so, so much time, I don't have that much time. But no, the reality is we all, we all have the same amount of time. And it is a gift that God freely gives us in his grace. And yet, it's free, but it's so priceless. It's so priceless. As the saying goes, uh, time marches on, time waits for no man. Once those credits, if you will, once those minutes are spent, they're gone. As much as I uh, would love to be able to rewind time and go back in time, Especially for me as I'm getting older and I think how quickly my days have passed and seasons have passed. Some of you know, I, you know four of, three of the four of my kids are already out of the house. And, and I see some of you with your youngers and man, my, my heart longs for those days. Uh, as the saying goes, I remember as a younger person, people would say, oh, the, the, the days are long, but the years are short. And I'm thinking, no way, really? But now I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that means. And just, you know, I think the older I'm getting, that uh, the more I've come to value the time that God has given me. And the days that are before me and the days that I, you know, uh, get to spend with loved ones in these things. Uh, another quote I read was that men talk of killing time, but time is quietly killing them, you know. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about time about how we view time, how we value time, what we're to do with time, how we spend our time. And it's here in the closing chapters of James 4 that James brings us to the topic of time. And specifically, he'll address some of the attitudes and perhaps even arrogance and ambitions and aspirations that we as his original readers also had when it came to their calendar and their planning and what they were going to do, what they thought they were going to do. And so this morning, as we unpack these verses together, we get to see and hear what the Spirit might say to us as we consider the days before us, our calendars, and what we uh, are doing with our time. Verse 13, I, I draw your attention back. He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow... We will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Now, we, we've talked before when we come to a passage, and though we're making our way uh, section by section and verse by verse, we don't want to forget the context of what we're talking about. In the previous verses, James has been warning uh, the, you know, the original audience, uh, this community, of course, as we read it today, there's warnings there for us as well. 
And, and most recently, he's been warning about talking trash, uh, speaking slander against one another. And along with that, this uh, prideful, uh, arrogant judgment that we might have and thinking that we're better than other people or we compare our lives to other people's lives and we think, well, I'm not as bad as that person, so therefore I must be okay. And, and together we talked about how the grace of God in our life changes everything. It flips the script. And a part of that flipping the script is then how we should not only view God, but we view ourselves and God's economy is uh, inverted from the world, right? You want to go up, then go down. He says, let's humble ourselves, and God will lift you up. We don't need to lift ourselves up by putting other people down. That, that's the way of the world. And so he's been talking about pride and arrogance in, in view of that and how we talk to people. He stays on topic, though. It's still pride and arrogance, but it shifts now from how we're talking about people to how we're then viewing our time and spending our time. It moves to plans and pursuits. And once again, the grace of God. The grace of God should impact then the way that we view time and value time and what we do with the time that God has given us. He says, you who say. So he's addressing this group, come now. And the idea is like, uh, you know, it's the verbal equivalent of, of hoy, hey. He's getting our attention. You who say. And, and as we read that, you think, okay, He's just talking about people who are making plans. That, that in itself doesn't seem to be a bad thing. But the qualifier really is verse 16, where he includes the attitude in which a person might say these things. It's with boastfulness. It's with arrogance. It's with pride. It's without a consideration of God's hand in our life at all. And so he's addressing, if you will, those who think and act in self-reliance. The problem isn't in making plans of any kind. In fact, I even say the Bible encourages us to be, uh, you know, make good plans, be wise with our time. Whether it's for vacation or it's vocation, it's ventures, it's, you know, whatever it may be. That, that, that again, that in in itself is not the issue. That's not what James is knocking here. Uh, In fact, I even say that the Bible encourages us, if I can make a point out of what's not here, is that we we should be planning. I mean, wise planning, godly planning is something that God calls us to. If if gift, excuse me, if time is a gift and God then gives us that gift with the expectation of stewardship, as in every gift, talents and treasures and time, this precious commodity, then we should steward that well. We should manage that well. And so wise planning, I would say, is an opportunity for us to steward the gifts that God has given us to the glory of God because it's so valuable, right? We agree with that. Time is valuable. One of the things I realize as we gather together, my prayer is, Lord, I don't want to waste your time to make the the most of what we have and maximize and and invest in what God wants to, to do in each of our lives. And it's been said that time is what we want most, and yet we use the worst. Again, the Bible has a lot to say. The Bible has a lot to say about our wise planning. I mean, Jesus himself talking about uh, plans and 
evaluations and looking at you know, our life before we uh, endeavor into something. One example in Luke 14, he says, you know, which of you wishing to build a building, build a tower, you don't first sit down and, and count the cost. You meet with the builder and the architect. You're looking at the expense and the bottom line. What's the timetable? It, it's planning. That's really what he's talking about. Do you, do you have the resources there? Can you complete it? And he goes on to say, because, you know, if you go on to do that, you can't finish the work. Well, people are going to think you're a fool. It's the idea of just proper planning. Again, real practical. That's what I love about the scriptures. It leads us to very practical things. Proverbs 27, 12 says, the prudent sees danger. They recognize something and make a plan. They take cover. They do something in response. It's the simple that just kind of keeps going and, you know, they get knocked around. They pay the penalty. Proverbs 16, 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And so James isn't, James isn't just categorically saying you shouldn't have any plans. If you really want to be spiritual, then just, you know, make no plans and live by the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead. Now, there's some personalities like that. Anybody have a personality like that? You're like, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to go with the flow. One person, James. Yeah, two. All right, you know. And I bet you're married to the planner, though, right? Is that <laughs> keep you grounded? Right? I mean, second service. All of us are planners. You guys are. <laughs> we have different personalities. Again, the problem isn't that whether it's uh, you know letting the spirit lead or or making plans. The the problem was was presumption. Problem was assumption. He says, whereas you, you make these plans, you, you, you say, and the idea again, you say with this arrogance, you say with this confidence, I'm going to go do this. But he says, whereas you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Problem that James wants to point out is just uh, presumption, presumption of our pursuits, the priorities that we make for ourselves in any given day. And the pride that comes along with that of being self-confident in that, saying, I will do this and I am going to. It's confidence without any consideration of what God wants you to do. God's will and God's ways and God's purposes and God's plans. Not even a factor of our calendar, our schedules, and our thoughts. So we hold on to, we can't hold on to this false assumption that we, we're in complete control of our, of our calendar. I think all of us know the reality that we're not. I mean, COVID was, uh, you know, God's tool to remind us that we're not the master of our calendars, right? COVID was the calendar bully for many of us. How many plans that we made that all of a sudden we had to just drop or get rerouted and to frustration and anger at times and loss of money and, right? We, we understand that reality. Again, context is important for us. This attitude and this, what we're going to do, James says, you, you don't know what tomorrow holds. And remember what James has also been warning about along with this pride is also this uh, tendency for them and us to warm up to the way of the world. The great temptation, we look to the world and we see the world and how it operates and how it defines success, how it defines identity, how the world defines 
uh, value and beauty and worth and all these things. And we looked at the world and we're like, well, that, that, that seems like a definition I, I want to embrace. That seems like a pursuit that I should be on. Because look at my neighbors and look at everybody else and how, the, how they do it. So maybe that's the way that I should do it. And James is reminding us, no, there's a whole completely different paradigm when it comes to the Lord. God's ways are not the ways of the world. Uh, there is a completely different you know, track that you and I are on. And yet we're tempted to make the pursuits of the world and worldly prizes the thing that we then go chase after. Imagine James perhaps is imagining picturing the business people of his day, many who are just uh, merchants, those who are involved in trade and agriculture and selling their fruits and crops and, uh, you know, and livestock and these things, their, their artistry. It was Etsy shops and flea markets on the back of camels and carts. And these, these merchants would take these established trade routes. At this time, Roman roads that advanced their uh, travel and enabled their travel and the broadening of commerce and trade and, and these people who would make their way from city to city and town to town and villages and, and they would engage in, well, commerce and these things. I can understand it. it's not hard work and buying and selling and you know, having a side hustle, if you're, like, you're a day trader, hey, to the glory of God, that, that's not the issue. The problem was worldly ambition. It was the purposes and the priorities of the world and them adopting that, again, to the neglect of if God is in this, does God even want me doing this? Is this even a, a thing that the Lord uh, has ordained for me? They completely left God out of their schedules. God wasn't a part of their future. God wasn't a part of their finances. God wasn't a part of their family. And so we pause for a moment and we say, okay, if that is the uh, rebuke that James brings to this group, the application for us at the very least is a consideration of our own planning. Is God a part of your plans? Is that even a consideration as you think about your next chapter, your next season? When you talk about family planning, or future planning, or retirement planning. Some of you are at that place. Is the question of what does God want for us, is that even part of the discussion? Maybe not even big things. What about just your next endeavor, your next day? See, God's grace should change the way that we come to our calendars and the way that we view time and the way that we value time. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Told, trust in the Lord with all our heart, in all of our ways. If you allow me a little liberty, in all of your day planners, in all of your Google calendars, in all of your financial planning, all of your family planning, in all of your ways, acknowledge the Lord, include the Lord. And what happens? Well, God directs us. God will make our path straight. 
Another important principle here before we move on. And really, it's a sobering one where James just says, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We make plans for tomorrow. I have plans for tomorrow. I have plans for next week. I have plans for my anniversary. I have plans for my birthday. But none of us are promised tomorrow. And James is basically paraphrasing or quoting Proverbs 27.1 where he says, the writer says, don't, don't boast about tomorrow. Or you don't know what a day will bring you. And again, I, I think we're, there are events that happen in our life that remind us of this reality. And we're so easily, I think we can, well, I'll speak for myself. I can easily forget this. Because in my mind, I still imagine myself as a young man. Anybody, anybody else think that? You think that about me as a young man? No, just kidding. <laughs> about yourself, right? Until yeah. you get to the mirror, you're like, man. Time might heal all things, but it is a terrible beautician, right? <laughs> but there are events in our life that echo this truth, that we're not promised tomorrow. I mean, very sobering. Just last week, we had a brother in our church who came up after service, Devin, and said, hey, can you pray for me in our unit? A group of guys here in Okinawa, maybe you saw the news, a group of guys from his unit went out swimming and just got caught in this rip current got pulled out to sea. A group of them made it back, but one young man didn't. And they found his body later, and really sad, very sobering. Right? Entered into eternity. And so I prayed with Devin. I prayed just, you know, we prayed for God's peace and comfort. And but just even that moment, I thought, man, like I, I can't, you know, no, no one wakes up in the morning w with, you know, the idea of like, we're going to go have fun with this con, you know, I don't think, right? With this idea like, well, maybe today will be the last day, my last day. I mean, e even when we know that uh, life is going to end soon, you know, we have these moments of sobriety, you know, our family members and friends that are going through things. Uh, then this morning I got two, two text messages from extended family. People were part of our church, live stateside and uh, their family members are sick. Uh, Pastor, can you pray for my mom? And one dear brother, his dad passed away suddenly. I just thought, man, they're going to be sharing this message this morning. And that's exactly what James is telling. We, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know. We're not promised tomorrow. When those things happen, I think about my own parents. My dad passed away a number of years ago. My mom, about seven years now. It means how quickly time flies, even in those things. Well, my mom passed away in early September. We had planned plans. We had made plans to go back stateside and uh, for the holidays to go see my siblings and family and to go back to uh, Ohio where she had lived at one point. And so we, we, we planned it all out and had reservations and made phone calls to family and uh, my mom went in for surgery. It was her third one. It was kind of, you know, just routine. She'd had two before, and uh, she was battling cancer. But the doctor's like, yeah, no, we've done it before. It's just, you know, these lymph nodes, were, we'll take them out. And I'm like, all right, even to the point where I went to, <laughs> I went to a, a conference in Hawaii and was expecting, fully expecting to come back and 
hang out with my mom, and then, you know, a couple months later, we were going to go travel. And I get the phone call in Hawaii. Uh, your, mom, your mom's not doing good. We've got to keep her in, uh, you know, medically induced coma. And, you know, I came back, and that was it. Like, a couple of days later, my, my mom entered into eternity. Like, like all those plans... I've said before, like, death doesn't care. <laughs> it doesn't care about your plans. There's a reminder, though. Like, time, like, I knew that time was short. I mean, that's why we had these plans. Time is short. My mom had an awareness of that, but we didn't know how short. Okay, we, we don't want to live in presumption. We don't want to live in an underestimation of, of our own limitations. What James doesn't fully offer, and we can make some application from what's not there. If that is the case, what should we do then? Well, here's what I want to submit to you, that we should invest our time in things that matter most then, because time is so short. That we should live with a sense of of sanctified, sanctified priorities. What does God want? What does God have for me? Paul writes to the Romans, the community, the Christian community in Rome, in Romans chapter 13, verse 12. He says this, and do this, understand the occasion. Understand this moment. The hour has come for you, let's put ourselves in there, for us, Calvary Okinawa, to wake up, to get up out of our slumber. For the promise of salvation is nearer than it's ever been than we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day has drawn near. And so let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and let's put on the armor of light. And so the, the, the encouragement and the exhortation is let's stop playing games. Time is short. Time is precious. What, what, what are we to be about? And so we don't want to waste our life living for temporal things and earthly things and things that don't matter. Yet how many of us, I'm guilty, just do just that, right? We, we look at the world and say, oh, that, that's what it means to win. <laughs> that's what it means to be successful. That's what it means to, you know, uh, to have life full. Let's, let me go pursue stuff. I've done a number of funerals. You've been at some funerals. There's no U-Haul in the back of a hearse. We bring one thing with us that we get on this side of eternity. It's the bonus of our relationship with God. And that is, guess what? Our friendships, our family ships in Christ, right? If you've been around for a while, you've heard me say this before. We love this phrase. Families are made at the foot of the cross. And it's our relationships that we form in Christ. That's our currency. What makes us rich this, us. And it's this and us that we get to. It's eternal. We're going to spend forever together. And if then, if this is eternal, I dare say this is what we should invest in then, in the kingdom of God and the things that God has. Oh, this is in my notes, so you me son for you. I think I've quoted this before. Uh, what's that singer's name? Oh, man. This is why I shouldn't go off notes. <laughs> uh, it'll come to me like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'll, I'll call you. Anyways. Oh, well. 
the song. The, the lyric of the song is, uh, oh, it's Johnny Cash, the song Hurt. And there's a line in that song that says, and you can have it all, you can have my empire of dirt. Oh, it just sticks with me. Empire of dirt. Okay, we, we want to invest in the things of God. The relationships that God brings us. And why? Because on this side of eternity, our investment opportunities are limited. He asks in the second half of verse 14, he makes this statement, you don't know what's going to happen. And it's really existential, right? What is your life? That's a big question. Right? What is your life? Yeah, like what, what defines you? What does your life consist of? But he answers his question, though. And realize, oh, he's talking about duration. It's but a vapor. It appears here for a little bit, and then it's gone. Again, very sobering. What is your life? On one hand, we can say, well, we know the gospel answers that question. Your life is invaluable. Your life is precious. Your life is a gift that God has given you. And your life has value and worth and beauty because God ascribes that to you. And if you ever doubt that, just remember the cross. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son to live for you and die for you because he loved you. The Bible goes on to say, even while you and I were yet sinners and we had nothing to do with God and we're angry with God, we want to reject God, he still demonstrated his love for you by sending Jesus for you. That's how much you're worth. But James, the answer to his question reveals his point, and the point that he's talking about is duration. And really what he's saying is, listen, li life is short, which I can say amen to that, right? What does our life on this side of eternity compare to forever and compare to eternity? It's nothing. It's a blip. His illustration is it's like the morning fog. We don't get too much of that here in Okinawa, but sometimes in the morning on this side, if you come up on the back side where the golf course is, there's this morning mist, this morning fog. And every time I drive into that, I think two things. I think scary movies that I shouldn't have watched, <laughs> and I think of this verse. You know. <laughs> In my sinful mind and my spiritual mind. Yeah. And just like that, it's gone. Because we, we overestimate time. If you're like me, I tend to think I have more time than I really do. And all of a sudden I'm like, what? What time has it got to go? Like, famous theologian, Dr. Seuss, once... <laughs> All right, just make sure you're awake. He once wrote, How did it get so late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? The time is short. And it's fleeting, isn't it? It just passes us by so quickly. And so what should we do in light of that? Yeah, I think what's understood here is let's, let's pursue God. Let's pursue God's plan. And that's an important qualifier because you know, as much as we want to include God in our plans, I think what's better is to say, Lord, what's your plan? Versus saying, all right, Lord, here's my plan. I want you to bless it. Sign off on this. I think I got a really good plan. 
but rather we'd say, Lord, you alone own the right to the script of my life. And so God, you tell me your plan and I want to do that. And, and guess what? Sometimes it's going to look nothing like what you thought, right? <laughs> what you planned. But God's promise is it will be better. It'll be a better ride. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us the number of our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 39 verses 4 and 5. Lord, show me. Show me my end, the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is, the psalmist writes. For indeed, you have made my day like a hand breath. My life is my lifetime is as nothing before you, and truly each man at his best exists but, but a breath. And it ends, Selah. You know, Selah, it's Jewish for like, ponder this, right? What does James offer though? These questions, sobering. Think about your life. Is God apart? You shouldn't be arrogant. He says, instead, here's what you ought to say. You ought to say, we ought to say, if the Lord wills. If, God, if this is what God wants for me, then, then we'll live and we'll do this and we'll do that. And so here's the contrast that he's providing for us. Again, I want to make sure maybe made the point known already. It's not, it's not schedules and meetings and planning in itself that's unspiritual. That's not the point. Sometimes people again, make the mistake to think, well, if you're planning everything out, then, you know, maybe that's unspiritual. I, I disagree. Jesus made plans and... Paul made plans and God had plans. He gave them to Moses for, you know, the, the children of Israel and how they're going to live and all the civic laws and civil laws and religious laws and uh, to David to build a building and to the children of Israel. And, I mean, and of course, we say, and it's not a cliche, God has a plan for you, a plan for your life, plan and purpose, a great plan and a purpose. And part of what we get to do is to discover that and walk in that the grace of God working in our lives, that we would walk in those plans and good works that he has prepared beforehand, as Ephesians reminds us. So planning in itself isn't unspiritual. The part we have to make sure we do is asking God, hey, lead us and guide us. But, and here's James, very practical. Let's make sure we have margin in that too, right? We want to yield to what God wants to do, that God can reroute and redirect Lead us and guide us. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, there's this uh, account where it, it's Paul and, and Silas. And we read in verse 6 of Acts 16 that they, you know, they are, they are doing what God has called them to do. We'd say they're, they're fulfilling the plan of God in their life. And as they do so, as they're in motion... They're traveling through Phrygia and Galatia, and it says, oh, they wanted to go to Asia, go preach the gospel. That's a noble thing. There's this really curious phrase, though. In verse 6, it says, but the Holy Spirit prevented them. Like, the Spirit prevented them from preaching the gospel? We understand, okay. It was just... A no for now, but not forever, right? That's how sometimes the Lord works in our life. It was just not yet. It wasn't in his time. I mean, preaching the gospel to a distant land is a good and godly and noble thing. It just wasn't what God wanted for them in that season. And there's times where we're following the Lord. And we say, 
God, I'm living for you. You're a part of my plans. And yet God will still reroute you and redirect you. As much as you want to curse at the monitor, the detailer, you can trust like God's in that, right? And so let's, let's make godly plans and good plans, but let's leave margin for the Holy Spirit to reroute you. And this is a lesson that I've, I'm still learning. I, sometimes I feel like, Lord, I, this is what you want me to do. I'm following what you want me to do, but now why are you leaving me over here? You know what happens then for me? I get angry. I get frustrated. I get disappointed. Listen, we, if we insist on our will, you know how the grace of God sometimes manifests in your life and mine? If you insist on your way, God's so good, he'll just give you your way. And guess what? He'll give you your way as a means to spank you. That's really what it amounts to. Right? Okay, you really want this? I don't want this for you. You really want this? Guess what? I'm going to give it to you to realize so you can realize you shouldn't have wanted that. Did that ever happen in your life? <laughs> I think about the children of Israel. God said, I want you to go this way. I'm going to provide for you. Every day, God gave them manna to eat except for the seventh day, right? They, they had plenty. Every morning, there it was. It's, uh, you know, it's heaven's power bar, perfect macros, <laughs> superfood from, you know, God. They got double portion on, on Saturday or on the sixth day. Didn't have to worry about eating manna jerky. It was all good. But at some point along that way, the people are like, we don't like, we're tired of manna. We don't want manna anymore. You know, manna cream pie and manna cotti and manna giddies. You know, it's only so much they could do with manna, right? You know what they wanted? They wanted carne asada, right? They wanted meat, yakiniku. I relate, I understand. They begin to complain about God's provision and God's way and God's will as though it wasn't good enough. You guys know the story? What did God do? He gave them what they wanted, right? He gave them quail. There, there you go, el pollo right there. Just go for it. And it says, and it's gross, number 16. Forget the address, 16, somewhere in there. It said that God gave them so much, it came out of their nostrils. Yee. That's gross, right? I mean, there's times where I've laughed and, you know, soda or milk. It's embarrassing, right? I've never had meat come out of my nose, right? What, what, just, we need to be careful. That's the idea. Like, let, let's leave margin for God to reroute us. We don't want to insist on our own way. Because sometimes God will just like, all right, I'll let you go there. I'll let you have what you want. And sometimes the lesson is, oh, Lord, why did I want this? I didn't really want this. See, it's the pride that is really the issue. Verse 16, but you boast in your arrogance but you boasting your arrogance and boasting all that boasting, it's evil. It's not of the Lord. Planning wasn't the issue. Pride was the issue. Aspirations weren't the issue. Assumption was the issue. Planning wasn't the issue. Presumptions were the issue. 
to move out in pursuit of the way that the world without thinking about God, without him being part of the equation. And so James just says, listen, that, that's, that's sin. That's not good. It's, you're boastful. You're arrogant. It's just evil. It's not of the Lord. Jesus, Jesus taught this parable about this guy that had the same attitude. It's in Luke chapter 12. Here, I'll read it to you. You can flip over there with me. Luke 12. Verse 16. Luke 12, verse 16. Jesus spoke a parable to them. He's speaking to the disciples. This group that's gathered together. He says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I know, I'll do this. I'm going to pull down my barn. I'm going to build greater. I'm going to build bigger barns. And there I'm going to store my crops and my goods. And then I'm going to say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for your many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. Here's God's commentary on that. Fool. This night your soul is going to be required of you. Your day's done. Your life is done. He says, and then whose will those things be that you've provided? The idea of provided for yourself, stored for yourself. So so is he who lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. Again, con- context is key and important, right? It's selfishness. That's the issue. Savings wasn't the issue, right? Storing things wasn't the issue. For himself was the issue. No regard to what God wanted to do or have him do. What was the purpose of that prosperity? That wasn't even a question in this man's equation. As God has blessed you and me with the commodity of time and treasures and talents, the question that's attached to that is, Lord, what should we do with this? What do you want me to do with this, Lord? There's no gratitude. There's no thought of What's God's will for this? And so James is bringing that to the forefront. We, we should include, we should ask, we should be thinking, what does God want for me? My calendar and my checkbook, where I go, what I do, the plans that I make. Again, it just brings us back to the statement we began with. The grace of God in your life and mine, it should radically, absolutely change in the way we view time and value time and how we invest in time. And then he ends in verse 17. And this verse really brings us to a summary of thought and application. He says, therefore. So if you've been in church for a while, you've heard, right, when you see that word in English, therefore, you ask, what's therefore, therefore? It's, God bless you. It's a conclusion. It's a connector. It's a bridge. It's often the idea is, let me lay some truth on you. God says, here's what's true. Now, what do we do in light of that truth? How do we respond to that truth? Therefore, we should then what? And so James brings us to conclusion and to application. What I want to suggest to you that it's not just for verse 16 or talking about our calendar, but rather the application reaches back to even to verse 1 of chapter 4. The whole thought of grace and pride and plans and words and all of it. If along the way the Spirit of the Lord's been convicting us and we hear God's voice and then we don't do anything, James basically doubles down and says, listen, even in that you're in sin. 
For him who knows then what to do and you don't do it, James, remember, he doesn't hold back. He'll just tell you like it is. He's, he's the guy that doesn't mind saying you got something in your teeth or your zipper's down or, you know, there's a flag in your, you know, uh, nose, you know. He'll just tell you. And he basically says, there's no excuse and there's no exception. Now, he's reminded us God gives us great, great, more grace. Which is beautiful, right? God gives us more grace, more grace to get right with him. But even in our pride, if we dig in our heels, we refuse to do what God is showing us to do. James just says, you're in sin then. You're in sin. And what do we do if we're in sin? Well, he's already told us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your, heart, your hearts, you double-minded. You know what it is? When God convicts you and me, repent. <laughs> repent and get right with God. It's as simple as that. And sometimes we complicate that, right? We want to make excuses. We want to play the blame game. When God reveals your sin, I think keep your account short and get right with God right away because he gives more grace. That's the wonder and beauty of our God. But we, we put ourselves on a spiritual timeout away from the blessings of the Lord if you and I refuse to do what God's directed us to do. And so that's where James, in a sense, uh, closes his thoughts. He'll pivot again in verse 5. He's going to use the same phrase, come now. Hey, hoy. He's going to address another perspective and attitude sometimes we have about money. And so that's where we'll go next. But this morning, I pray that you're encouraged. I pray that you're challenged. Uh, we're going to have a time of communion. I'm going to invite the ushers to serve you and the worship team to come back up. And as they do that, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the morning. We thank you for your word. For these verses that were reminded of the value of time, the gift of time, Lord, I, I pray for myself and any who would agree with me, Lord, forgive us for wasting time of pursuit of just things that really don't matter. How many hours we can just spend mindlessly scrolling in social media or in pursuit of things at the end of the day, they, they have no eternal value at all. Especially at the expense of what really matters, relationships. It's our own family. It's people that you've placed in our community and around us. And Lord, I can't imagine any of us will get to the end of our life and think, oh, I, I should have spent more time on Facebook. Or should have spent more days and hours in the office. But Lord, we, we've all heard people regret not spending time with family and friends, pursuing the things of faith. 
And so God, it, it's a good wake-up call for us that we might wake up those of us who are slumbering, being lazy. We've adopted the pursuit of the world for the prize of the world. Lord, in your grace, we, we receive that conviction, the call of your spirit to repent, to change direction, and go in the way that you've called us to go. And Lord, as we have this time of communion, we thank you because communion itself reminds us then of your purposes and your plans for us. It reminds us of how much you love us. What is the value of our life? That as we partake of the bread, as we partake of the cup during our time of worship and spirit and truth, we remember your body, we remember your blood. We remember that we're forgiven. We remember that you're, we are your family. We remember that there's great grace for us today. That Jesus lived and died. He paid the price for us. Now, we don't live in condemnation, but Lord, conviction is good. A call to holiness is good. And so Lord, where there is sin, may we confess, may we repent, may we receive forgiveness and be humbled, that we wouldn't delay. So we give you this time. Meet us, speak to us. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, search our hearts. May we partake with the right spirit and the right mindset, the right attitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.